Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. It's so nice to be with you today. Thank you for coming. May the face of our God shine upon you and your family with light and truth. Today could be the best day of your life and tomorrow even better. Can you imagine such a concept? Untold billions are spent in this world in an effort to correct spiritual imbalances of all dimensions, oppression, depression, possession, indecision, fear, inferiority, complexes, confusion, chemical imbalances, etc., etc. There is a very real singular solution to these tremendous problems, and that solution is found in the Word of God. Do not expect mainstream religious mindsets or the field of psychological solutions to get you there, past the imbalances, for they are the biggest part of the problem. The following few sentences will sound like sheer hyperbole, but know they are certainly understatements. This three-part series from the inerrant Word of God fully has the power to uh, recreate excuse me, and continue the recreation as well as sustain an entire new and dynamic you. God's Word calls it, a new and living way. By entering into this understanding and applying these principles, you will live longer, love living, stand taller, walk more confidently, smile broader, dwell in peace, sense continual joy even in the face of contradiction. Your body will resonate with health and so much, much more. This message is so absolutely central to success in Christ Jesus and consequently success in this life in general that it cannot be exaggerated. Nearly all of the things I will discuss with you have been addressed numerous times on God Said, Man Said. This will be a compilation, a concentration of concept. If one assumes he knows all there is to know in any given subject, that naive arrogance ensures that his development in that wisdom has ceased. If I recognize that every truth is deeper than my knowledge of it, that kind of humility and respect, when coupled with diligent search, assures the expansion of that wisdom. I mentioned on this website the fictional story of a man who was searching for truth. His quest took him the world over, but truth he could not find. Finally, he heard of an eminent wise man who dwelt on top of a mountain in a very barren land. He climbed the cold and foreboding mountain to arrive at its top, where he found a guard standing before a hut. He explained his quest. The guard went into the hut, returned, and ushered the man in. Inside, he found the old wise man sitting behind a flat rock table. He was invited to sit and explain the reason for his visit. After patiently hearing the pilgrim's story, the wise man took two cups and poured steaming hot tea to the brims. Then the wise man said, Pour some tea into the cups. The visitor rightfully responded, I can't, they're full. The wise man replied, Neither can I give you truth. Your cup is full. Enter this three-part life-transforming series with an empty cup. At the end of this series, you will be able to replicate godlike actions on a daily basis and at will. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's true. You will be the judge of the above statement's credibility. Two basic biblical concepts are critical to part one of this series. The first concept is that we have God-like brain power between our ears, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, 
created he him, male and female, created he them. Genesis 5, verses 1 through 2. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. The following excerpts are from Superhuman Brain 2 and various other paragraphs from research on God Said, Man Said. We are all equipped with brain capabilities so vast and so past our needs that it's unfathomable. This godlike brain is by far the world's most underdeveloped resource. It is one of the last vestiges of our supernatural origin when man, our great-grandfather Adam, was immortal and dwelt in a place called paradise. The incredible brain continually boggles rationalization and scientific scrutiny. The question posed in February 2004 issue of Discover magazine was, one of the great questions of human existence is whether we are smart enough to figure out how our brain works, end of quote. The following paragraph is from January 2001, God Said, Man Said feature article, The Superhuman Brain. It used to be said that man used about 10% of his brain capacity, but just recently science revealed we use only a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of our brain and that the human brain has infinite capabilities. It would almost sound braggadocious if it were not for the fact that we are designed in God's image and have between our ears God's brain power, God's computer power. The brain is bigger than man's capacity to understand it. The following excerpts are from the God Said, Man Said feature, Nocebo, Placebo, and You. You have, of course, heard of the placebo effect. Basically, the placebo effect is the ability of the mind to think oneself better. Many clinical measurements have been made over the years concerning this phenomenon. In these studies, people were treated for a particular ailment. Part of the group was treated with the appropriate medication, while the others were given a placebo, often a harmless sugar pill. After the trial, the results of both groups were measured. The improvement rate of those taking the harmless sugar pill ranked in at about 1 out of 3, or 33%, and the improvement number of the placebo group is sometimes greater than the improvement percentage turned in by the group actually treated with the appropriate medication. Just recently, a study was conducted on an actual operation procedure the placebo operation actually turned in a higher improvement percentage than the medically recommended procedure. It also was noted that the placebo benefit skyrockets when the doctor promotes the fake placebo cures benefit with words, as he thinketh in his heart. As you should suppose, there is an opposite to the placebo effect, and it's called the nocebo effect, which is basically the physically negative things that take place in one's body as a result of thinking on the wrong words. The following excerpt concerning the nocebo effect is from an article written by Stacy Colino titled Mind Over Medicine. It reads, 
In an experiment at the State University of New York Downstate Medical Center in Brooklyn, people with asthma were given inhalers that contained a harmless saline mist, but were told that they were inhaling a mist that contained irritants. Nearly half of the subjects experienced airway inflammation, a major symptom of asthma, and several actually suffered a full-blown asthma attack. It was a classic illustration of the nocebo effect at work. You may already be comfortable with the general notion that your moods and thoughts affect your physical health. You get sick to your stomach when you're under pressure at work, for example. Nocebo's flip side, the the placebo effect, is another form of this mind-body connection. That's the tendency people have to feel better after they perceive a treatment, even if it has zero therapeutic value, simply because they think the treatment will work. But in the more specific form of nocebo effect, the cause is a particular thought or belief not something vague like stress or a bad mood. In one experiment, 13 teenagers were told they were being rubbed on the arm with a plant similar to poison ivy. The leaves were in fact harmless, but all of the kids had some reaction, itching, redness, blisters. Their specific belief that the plant was poisonous actually caused them to break out in rashes, end of quote. The power of the brain is truly dramatic. The claim is that 22 to 58% of all sickness is in the mind. The brain that sends messages to the body at the rate of 240 miles per hour is an enigma to the fields of science that pursue its secrets. In John Horgan's book, The Undiscovered Mind, is the following excerpt. In 1990, the Society for Neuroscience persuaded the U.S. Congress to designate the 1990s the decade of the brain. The goal of the proclamation was both to celebrate the achievements of neuroscience and to support efforts to understand mental disorders such as schizophrenia and manic manic depression, also known as bipolar illness. One neuroscientist who opposed the idea was Torsten Weisel, who won a Nobel Prize in 1981 and went on to become president of Rockefeller University in New York. He stepped down to return to research at the end of 1998. Born and raised in Sweden, Weissel is a soft-spoken, reticent man. But when I interviewed him at Rockefeller University in early 1998, he became heated at the mention of the decade of the brain. The idea was foolish, he grumbled. We need at least a century, maybe even a millennium, to comprehend the brain. We still don't understand how C. elegans works. He continued, referring to a tiny worm that serves as a laboratory for molecular and cellular biologists. Scientists have discovered some simple mechanisms in the brain, but they still do not really understand how the brain develops in the womb and beyond, how the brain ages, how memory works. We are at the very early stage of brain science, end of quote. The superhuman brain is highlighted in the article titled Neurocomputers in Discover Magazine. The following two passages are from that feature. Brains derive awesome problem-solving abilities from two characteristics of their individual cells. First, a neuron can be in any one of thousands of different states, allowing it to store more information than a transistor, which has only two states, on and off. Second, neurons can choose which other neurons to talk to by rearranging their own synaptic connections. Neurobiologists call this self-organization. Neurons speak a terrifically complicated language. Each word in the neuron lexicon is a repeatable pattern of electrical impulses. And when neurons talk to each other, these electric words 
are transmitted across synapses, electrical connections that link neurons into a network. Each synaptic connection could have as many as 200,000 channels, end of quote. Self, uh, excuse me, South Florida Sun Centennial columnist Nancy McVicker reported on the 2002 PBS series titled The Secret Life of the Brain, and she wrote, A baby's brain in the first year of life may be the most complex organism on earth, wiring itself to form 1,000 trillion connections between brain cells, many more than there are stars in the universe, end of quote. Imagine. The likeness of God's brain is between our ears. Again, from the superhuman brain, too. Information theorist John Newman once estimated that the memory stored in the human brain during an average lifetime could amount to approximately 2.8 times 1,020, or 20 with 19 zeros after it, information bits. The brain is a literal pharmaceutical manufacturing plant and administrating a medical team all in one. It creates from the materials at hand a magnificent array of drugs and medications and automatically administers them when needed. Imagine, your brain weighs only three pounds, yet a computer with the same number of bits would be 100 stories tall and cover the state of Texas. Do you need more proof that your brain is made in God's likeness? Then consider this. To build a building 100 stories tall that would cover the state of Texas and then fill it with information bits would cost more than the aggregate wealth of the world. Your godlike brain has infinite capabilities and is beyond price. End of quote. Finally, on the brain, John Horgan writes, Given their poor record to date, I fear that neuroscience, psychology, psychiatry, and other fields addressing the mind might be bumping up against fundamental limits of science. Scientists may never completely succeed in healing, replicating, or explaining the human mind. Our minds may always remain, to some extent, undiscovered. End of quote. The second biblical principle critical to part one of this series is the concept of words. The following excerpts are from the God Said, Man Said feature, Everything Made of Words. God said, Psalms 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. God said, Psalms 33, 9, For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. God said, Hebrews eleven three. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. If God created our beings and all that we see out of words, then there should be proof everywhere of this truth, and there is. This wisdom is one of the greatest secrets of all time. All things, your home, your computer, your car, your body, and the world, etc., are literally framed out of words, God's words. To man, such a concept is bizarre and hard to fathom, but this feature will simply once again prove the veracity of the Holy Word of God. Much of God said, man said's original feature, made out of words, is included in this new and expanded feature. The revelation becomes even more shocking. Years ago, I was talking to a man about Jesus Christ. He told me that what I had to offer was just words, as though words were of no consequence. I asked him, what if I can prove to you that all things are created from words? He answered me in a challenging tone, try it. The following explanation ensued. 
I asked him how he had arrived at the event we were were attending, and he said he had driven up in his car. I told him that I would prove that his auto was simply a compilation of words. I explained, long before the first car was ever created, a man rode down the road in a horse-drawn buckboard, taking all day to do what takes just minutes in our modern vehicles. He thought, boy, I'd love to have a horseless carriage. Those were silent words within his head. He went home and grabbed a tablet and pencil and wrote down his plan to create a horseless carriage, written words. I I asked the man with whom I was speaking what we had so far, and he rightly responded, words. Next, the excited inventor went out into the field and dug up some iron ore that God had spoken into existence out of that which is invisible, processed it into steel, and drove away in the first car, his horseless carriage. I asked my friend, what is a car made of? He responded, words. Everything is made of words, God's words. The feature continues. Since the publishing of the original Made Out of Words, new insights into the nature of DNA have been shocking to say the least. And reading these various reports, the concept of language stands out in dominant form. Of course, if all things are constructed from words, that is precisely what we should expect to see. The following passage from Lee Strobel's new book, The Case for a Creator, reads, The six feet of DNA coiled inside every one of our body's 100 trillion cells contains a four-letter chemical alphabet that spells out precise assembly instructions for all the proteins from which our bodies are made. Cambridge-educated Stephen Meyer demonstrated that no uh, hypothesis excuse me, has come close to explaining how information got into biological matter by naturalistic means. In the same book, references and quotes are made of Stephen uh, C. Meyer, Ph.D., who is presently director and senior fellow at the Discovery Institute Center for Science and Culture, as well as professor of the Conceptual Foundations of Science at Palm Beach Atlantic University. He holds a doctorate at Cambridge University. There he analyzed scientific and methodological issues and origins of life biology. His credentials are substantial. Researcher Strobel interviews Dr. Meyer. When you talk about information in DNA, what exactly do you mean, I asked. We know from our experience that we can convey information with a 26-letter alphabet or 22 or 30 or even just two characters, like the zeros and ones used in a binary code in computers. One of the most extraordinary discoveries of the 20th century was that DNA actually stores information, the detailed instructions for assembling proteins in the form of a four-character digital code. The characters happen to be chemicals called adenine, quinine, cytosine, and thymine. Scientists represent them with the letters A, G, C, and T, and that's appropriate because they function as alphabetic characters in the genetic text. Properly arranging these four bases, as they're called, will instruct the cell to build different sequences of amino acids, which are the building blocks of proteins. Different arrangements of characters yield different sequences of amino acids. Meyer concluded, DNA is more like a library, he said. The organism accesses the information that it needs from DNA so it can build some of its critical components. And the uh, library analogy is better because of its alphabetic nature. In DNA, there are long lines of A, C, G, and T's that are precisely arranged in order to create protein structure and folding. 
to build one protein, you typically need 1,200 to 2,000 letters or bases, which is a lot of information, end of quote. Dr. K.P. Wise has a B.A. from the Department of Geophysical Sciences at the University of Chicago and an M.A. and Ph.D. in paleontology from Harvard University. While at Harvard, he studied under the world-famous evolutionist Stephen Jay Gould. Dr. Wise authored the book Faith, Form, and Time. His book fully endorses the Word of God, including the young earth premise. Wise goes into depth on the subject of DNA and words. The DNA molecule has hierarchical coding as well. DNA includes a string of four different nucleotides and the building blocks of DNA, analogous to the three building blocks of Morse code, dots, dashes, and gaps. The four nucleotides of DNA are arranged in sequences of three called codons to code for the 20 or so amino acids used in living organisms, analogous again to Morse code and coding for the 26 letters of the English alphabet. This characteristic of DNA is so much like language that it is commonly called the genetic code, and the name codon is given to the set of three nucleotides that codes for a particular amino acid, Wise says. One, at every level of structure, DNA uses codes. Two, at every level, DNA has parts that are designed to be interchangeable. Three, DNA's information seems to be arranged according to complex rules. Four, DNA is found within a complex cellular system designed to translate DNA information into a form usable by the cell to create specific structures the cell needs and to place them in their proper location in the cell. All these characteristics are shared by human languages. On several different levels and in several different ways, DNA has the structure of language. All organisms on earth, from bacteria to animals, protists to plants, algae to fungi, have DNA. Evidence of language is found in all of earth's organisms. Since God created evidence of his nature, and since God is a communicating God, the language basis of organisms should not come as a surprise to creationists. In fact, it is likely that principles of human linguistics may be helpful in unraveling DNA's language. And since language, in our experience, is only produced by some communicating intelligence, non-creationists would not expect DNA to be based upon a language. Imagine that. In a multi-page feature in the publication Science, the headline reads, Finally, the Book of Life and Instructions for Navigating It. The DNA molecule is a 3.3 billion letter book. DNA has not only been constructed by words, but all of its information is just words. Words, once spoken, are a form of kinetic energy. When these words are God's creative words, they are transformed into that which he has purposed. God said it was words thousands of years before man and his science began to understand the reason why. End of quote. The powerful truth is that we are literally made out of words, and that means the brain as well. Science is now discovering that words can physically change the brain. This concept is declared in the Word of God. God said, Romans 12, 2, and be not conformed, excuse me, to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The words of God renew the mind, and we are transformed. Webster's 1828 American Dictionary of the English Language defines transform to change the form of, to metamorphose. Metamorphose is defined to change into different form. 
Again, Webster defines it in theology as follows. Change the natural disposition and temper of man from a state of enmity or war to God and his law and to the image of God or into a dispensation and dispensation and temper conform to the will of God. End of quote. The Greek dictionary used in the Strong's Concordance also defines transform as metamorphose. The call to the mind of Christ is the call to be transformed into the likeness of God, back to paradise where only one voice, one word was heard. Imagine God changes our entire being with words, His. Our magnificent God-like brain can be transformed with words. The following paragraphs are again from everything made of words. Medical science and the field of psychology are more and more these days confirming the verse from Proverbs 18.21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The words which we think, speak, and act upon also have a direct bearing on our physical and mental health. This should be of no surprise when we understand that all things are created out of words. Therefore, even our bodies respond to words. It should be a concern to us that medical research estimates 75% of all typical human thoughts, words, are negative or counterproductive. The following excerpt was found on Ladies Home Journal in an article about mental well-being. Yet medical researchers estimate that more than 75% of the thoughts we have every day are negative or counterproductive, working against us instead of supporting our well-being and happiness. What we tell ourselves about ourselves and our lives day after day has a tremendous effect on shaping our reality for good or bad. It is now known that bone marrow produces white and red blood cells prolifically when one focuses on happy, positive thoughts, words. When negative, destructive thoughts, words, are doted upon, the bone marrow's production is inhibited. White blood cells kill disease and red blood cells bring oxygen and life. We are made out of words, thoughts. Therefore, the human body as well as all creation responds to them. In an article in Newsweek, February 26, 1996, the headline reads, For the obsessed, the mind can fix the brain. About 5 million Americans suffer from something known as obsessive-compulsive disorder. For instance, the compulsion to wash one's hands over and over again, even though they are not dirty. The following is a quote from the article. The most popular treatment for OCD is Prozac or a similar drug. Some 30% of OCD patients do not respond well to medication, though, and if a patient stops the pills, the symptoms return. But last week, Schwartz and four UCL, UCLA excuse me, colleagues reported in archives of general psychiatry that the mind can be at least as powerful as medicine when it comes to remodeling the brain. Behavioral modification, changing the way patients act, and cognitive therapy, changing how they think, can alter the biology of their brains. PET scans of brain activity after therapy show markedly decreased activity and the Are You Sure the Stove is On candidate. The team had seen hints of this in a 1992 preliminary study, but last week is the first to report persuasive evidence that, as Schwartz says, the mind can change the brain, end of quote. The following excerpt is from an April 8, 2002 issue of U.S. News & World Report under the heading Prescription Power. New Mexico last month became the first state to allow psychologists to undergo 450 hours of training and write prescriptions for psychotropic medications. The decision was bitterly fought by MDs. 
but Georgia, Illinois, Hawaii, and Tennessee have similar bills pending. Advocates in New Mexico say the new rule improves access in a state with so few psychiatrists that patients may have to wait up to five months for needed medicine. Yet some psychologists don't want to prescribe. They cite evidence showing their talking therapy is as effective as drugs, says David Ananucci, a psychologist at the University of Nevada, Reno. The tools we seek might not be as good as the tools we already have, end of quote. The following statement was made by Elizabeth Gould of Princeton University in the May 2005 issue of Discover magazine. One of the most important advances in the field of neuroscience in the last 25 years was the recognition that the adult brain exhibits both functional and structural plasticity. Indeed, an entire subfield of neuroscience has emerged that focuses on plasticity as the basis for understanding brain function under normal conditions as well as after brain damage. Because of this large body of work, we now know that the shape, size, and the number of neurons and their synaptic connections change as a result of experience, end of quote. Professor Mark Pagel of the University of Reading in England was interviewed by science writer Kathy Sveidel, also in the May 05 issue of Discover Magazine, under the article titled, Behaviorists Seek What Divides Us. One exchange follows. Interviewer. You've said that the loss of languages will lead to the loss of unique ways of thinking, Pagel. Nobody's language has forced them to believe that the world is flat or that something like gravity, gravity doesn't exist, but there are much subtler ways in which language, as an expression of culture, may structure the way we think. Japanese infants discriminate the R sound from the L sound, but Japanese adults have trouble making the discrimination. It's an actual physical alteration to the brain. There will be other discriminations that you and I cannot make that speakers of other languages can make. If that's the case, if language can structure the brain at those levels, maybe language and its association with culture makes us think about the world in different dimensions. If we lose languages, those ways of thinking will also be lost, end of quote. In conclusion of part one of this miraculous series, we list the following. One, we were created in God's likeness. Therefore, we have godlike brain power between our ears. Two, our brains have infinite capabilities. Three, we, including our brains, are made out of literal words. Four, the brain can be changed with words. Five, God's words can transform your mind. Every brain is a supremely sophisticated computer. The vast majority of the information in the unregenerated mind is misinformation. Through the born-again experience, God begins the reprogramming process known as putting on the mind of Christ. If you have yet to surrender your life to the King of Glory, click on the Further with Jesus for immediate entry into the kingdom of God. It will be the best day of your life. Part two of this series is titled Setting the Table. The final feature on this subject is titled Harnessing the Supernatural Power of Words. Special power tools will be distributed. Get ready for the days of heaven upon the earth. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 21.